It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. I don't know. Life is just, it's bizarre and it's weird and it's unfigureoutable, yet we're obsessed with trying to figure life out and ourselves out. And it's a never-ending abyss of clues and mysteries and questions. And I feel like one of the love is a huge part of that. What, before you get into this, though, I have a question Have you read any more of the book Selfie? I haven't yet. Why? Because I forgot and it's buried underneath three other books. I started on top. Okay, but can I tell you, I started reading a book by Waylon Lewis that I really like. Waylon Lewis? Yes, Waylon Lewis called Things I I Would Like to Do With You. That book is actually. This is very and on my topic. heart felt it felt it was so sweet. I'm, I'm four of, chapters in, and it. When did you get that book? Lauren gifted it to me. Spoiler alert: Lauren that is, is the so sweet. young lady I'm dating right now. So Lauren gifted it to me, and she wrote an incredible inscription in it. You know, I have to say that I feel like when I read that book years ago, and I know Waylon does the incredible work with this brand, Elephant Journal, and wow, that book oh my really God. moved me. Yeah, but as a woman. And Jason's a very sensitive guy, so I feel like, but I can tell on your reaction that you may not be like really getting into it (laughs) in the same way that I did. I think it's because it was written by a man about love. And as a woman, I read that thinking, wow, how amazing would it be to be loved in this way? But it was actually really interesting when I read that because I know Way- Waylon. I, I know him as a person. I've spent time with him. And so it's always interesting when, when you read something written by someone you know, right? And so I know it's real because I, I really feel like that came deep from his heart. It wasn't like poetry inspired or a song inspired by something. You know, sometimes you hear songs and then you find out later on that the song was like written in collaboration with a few people and, and here you are attaching all this meaning to it. And it might not even be what you thought that song meant. That happened like a really romantic song or <laughs> might not be about the type of romance that you thought. Or maybe it was written by multiple people. It has nothing to do with their lives. It's just like them them writing something fictional. I always feel kind of sad about that. But I haven't asked Waylon this, but I, I get the impression that everything in that book is deep from his heart and his experiences, which is, I think, why it landed so well. And of course, we'll link to it in the show notes for this episode because it really is a must read. So first of all, I, I really think it's acceptable for you to be reading that book. Thank you. Instead of selfie. Thank you. <laughs> or before selfie, I should say. But I also think it's really interesting that you are gifted that by a woman because I feel like, what, what context did she give you for why she gave you that? Well, she's written for Elephant Journal. She has articles right. that are published by Elephant Journals. So I was familiar with her writing and she's actually a tremendous writer. So we were talking about writing a lot. We, we discuss writing a lot and she has really great articles on her blog and on, you know, Elephant Journal, which happy to link to the show notes. Well, what does that have to do with the book? Well, it was our mutual appreciation for Elephant Journal and I didn't know. And, and we spend a lot of time discussing the nuances of relationship and masculine and feminine. And we, we just talk a lot about those kind of things. And I was not, re- I mean, tangentially, I was aware he published this book, but I just never investigated it. And then this past weekend, she just, she wrapped it and she gave it to me as a gift. It was such a sweet gift. Yeah. I wonder, 
it'd be so interesting if she would reveal more about why she gave that to you because I feel like when I read that I I thought wow like I just said I want a man to love me like this yes, exactly. maybe that is it I don't know I'm just, did you <laughs> I don't get, need um, to plan ideas did, in your head did you but... give me this book because hint hint <laughs> exactly. nudge nudge elbow elbow you know maybe I feel like maybe that's a very vulnerable thing like I I, I don't know if I would feel brave enough to give that to a man because it's just the whole book is about him and his relationships with women and love. I mean, it's a very, very vulnerable book. I feel, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Have you finished it yet? No, I'm I'm in chapter four or five right now, and I don't know. But every night I will sit down and and read, and I find that his writing is very evocative. It literally takes me to a different place, which is yes. interesting. It's very visual. You, the way that he describes yes. things. Yes. He, I think it's mostly based in his experiences in Boulder, too, in Colorado. Uh-huh. So I always feel like I'm transported to Boulder when I read that book again. Yeah. The other thing about it is the way that he talks about, it's really interesting, the way he talks about love is done from a perspective that I think is important to shift the narrative around the assumptions of how men perceive love and romance and connection. And I love the fact that he wrote this because for me, I was nodding my head about ways I could identify with him, you know, feeling like he was falling in love with someone, but not saying it, but appreciating the curvature of their mouth or the way that they would laugh or the way that they would chew food on a picnic or like these nuances that like I was like nodding my head like, oh yeah, these little almost indetectable, indecipherable things in someone when you're deepening your connection and and I don't like falling in love. We're going to talk about that, like rising in love, like expanding into love. You notice these like cute little quirky things that like endear you even deeper to a person. So, and then I feel in my experience, a lot of men do not express that. And maybe it's just been the men that I've dated, except for Jason, you would be the one exception when we dated. That was actually one of the things that drew me in to Jason was I was coming out of a really challenging relationship when Jason and I started dating in 2012. And we have a whole episode on our relationship history, so we'll link to that too if you have not listened to that yet. And spoiler alert, we we dated and then we broke up and then we became friends. And as you heard, he's dating someone else right now. We've dated multiple people since our breakup, which was about 2015. Thank you. And as you'll hear in that episode, Jason has a really good knack for dates in a way that is even more precise than mine, I suppose, (laughs) at least when it came to our relationship. But anyways, Jason and I were both coming out of relationships at the same time. So we started developing our friendship at first. We had been acquaintances for a while. And then we I was actually helping him with some social media content and, and strategy. I think that was like August or September 2012. Correct. And then we saw each other in person. At Expo East. Yep. And then shortly after, I think you had just broken up with your girlfriend before Expo East. Is that correct? correct? And I was in the middle of my breakup. And as soon as my relationship ended, it just kind of led very quickly into our relationship. Anyways, I just remember very distinctly that it felt so nourishing to me and unique the way that Jason would write me emails or send me text messages, the things that he would say. And and similar to how Waylon writes. So it, it makes sense that you are relating to that book. And it's it's also interesting to me thinking back, 
you might be the only guy that I've dated that has expressed things in that way. And I don't know, I mean, it's been so long since we dated, but but I don't know if anyone's ever pointed out, out a lot of the nuances about me. It, I think that's part of the reason that book is so beautiful, but it's also kind of brings up sadness in me is, is that, wow, it'd be wonderful if I knew these, you know, if, if a man was feeling that way about me, it'd be really nice to know it. But <laughs> I feel like a lot of men struggle to express in that way. And that's really interesting to me too. And that's yeah. why I was saying like, as a woman, it's, I feel like there's a little bit of a different perspective, but maybe that's me being a bit sexist or something. But I feel like the way that I read that book was more just, it was almost like it was reading a fantasy. But again, knowing that it was written by someone real and not like made up, but this feeling of, wow, will I ever experience someone who notices all those little details about me and his feelings and is so open about them and vulnerable? And is that even that important? That's the other thing that I, I think we could dig into tonight in this episode. There's so much we could explore as usual. But one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is the difference between what I think I want versus what is actually important and how that plays a role in relationships. Because I think so many of us, we talked about expectations in at least one episode here, and that, that ties into things like rejection and all of that heartbreak. But it's, I think we're going through life trying to figure out what love means. And a lot of us are only hearing it from more of a surface level or from a superficial level. And I think this is part of what you want to talk about, Jason, is a lot of us, we hear through songs, romantic songs. And again, these romantic songs might not even be based on reality. They really might just be made up. And movies and books and all these things, it's like we see all these examples of love in the media. I think that's probably where we get most of our ideas about love because when we look at love within people we actually know, we usually see more of the flaws of it. <laughs> Every once in a while, maybe we see someone that seems to have like the perfect relationship. But at least for me, every relationship that I know of has its challenges, right? But then you listen to the radio and it just sounds like everything could be perfect. And maybe, it, maybe it's about finding the right person and the one and all these different ideas. And I guess I'm at this point in my life where I'm unraveling a lot of those ideas about what love is and what, what I really want. And doesn't even, even matter what I want. Is what I want based on something important? Or is it based on some fantasy or programming that I've been given throughout my life? And it's, it's fascinating to get to this point of, of really examining it, right? Because if you think about it, so many people go into relationships with checklists. For sure. <laughs> you know, and they have this, okay, well, I want this, 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 and this. And then some people are able to go, you know what? He doesn't quite have this. But he has this, this, and that, so that's okay. The pros outweigh the cons, right? Or some people will say, "Wow, he's—I never thought that I'd want to be with someone like this before." So, but again, that's still based on some sort of a list, even if the people, that person isn't checking off the the boxes, you know. By the way, I think a fly just flew by my mic, and I heard it. And I'm, I'm really wondering if that was my imagination. Oh no, it's on your mic right now. 
And it's this oh tiny Oh my God, it's a bug, tiny little bug. But I'm pretty sure I just heard it. It picked up on the mic? I think so. I'm going to have to go back oh, and listen. Oh, this is exciting. But... <laughs> this is unprecedented. <laughs> That's the second interesting bug moment we've had today. There is, yeah. Before there was an aphid. We'll talk about that later though. But aphids uh, represent a lot of interesting biblical things. But different conversation. The checklist thing is interesting, right? Because I, okay, I've written a list of the qualities I want in a, a life partner, I think three or four times in my adult life. It hasn't been, it's not like every year I refresh it. It's more like, I don't know, when I get inspired or want to like reboot it, I'll write a new list. So interestingly, I hadn't looked at this list in a while, right? And now that I'm, you know, dating someone new, I revisited the list and I looked at it and I was thinking about what I know of her. It's still very new. You know, it's like a month and a half, almost two months. And I'm just like looking at the list and going like, oh, interesting. Meaning she's checking off the boxes or she's not or have your the things that you've wanted changed? All of it. <laughs> all of it? Yeah, all of it. All of it. So it's not based in, a, in other words, it's not exactly what you thought that you wanted. No, but also there are intrinsic in asking for what I want. There's almost a hierarchy of importance, right? Like there are things I know in my heart that are non-negotiables that if this person. But what? But that's the thing, though. What makes them a non-negotiable? Now, how do you even know if they're a non-negotiable? Well, I'll give you a really easy one. Cigarette smoking. Like if I met someone amazing and they were a cigarette smoker, like with all due respect, I don't want to breathe it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to smell it but on But what you. if they were madly in love with you and they said, you know what, Jason, I'm giving up, I'm giving up cigarettes. See, but this is the whole like what if scenario. And to me- I'm Not mean, necessarily. What if they've been smoking for 10 years, they meet you, you say- I can't date you because you smoke cigarettes and they say, I love you so much. I'm willing to change. Then they're changing for me, not for them. How do you know? Maybe. Then why didn't they change just... before they met me? No. Pass. Hard I don't pass. know. That feels so rigid to me. Hard when we pass, talk, I mean, I know we can disagree on this, but. I, we are disagreeing on I... <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, we've talked about so much in these episodes, the difference between looking at life black and white versus gray areas. I mean, how do you know? This is the thing where we're constantly changing as human beings. So just because they didn't change before they met you doesn't mean that they didn't want to change. Maybe you just sparked something. Uh, it's suspect. It's suspect. But is that. it suspect because you're afraid? <laughs> no, it's suspect because anyone who's like, oh, I met this great new guy, I'm going to change because... They're changing one part of themselves. My whole thing I mean, is, is why weren't you... Is their identity really wrapped up into cigarette smoking or is that just a poor habit? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I I think that someone who would choose to smoke is lacking in a particular cultivation of priority. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. You didn't let me finish. Listen, if you're doing something willfully every single day that you know is destroying yourself and not adding any nutritional or healthful benefit to your life, okay? It's an addiction though. Right. But it's a willful thing, love, that people are doing. Yes, but addictions are... And I'm also speaking as someone that doesn't struggle with addiction, but from what I understand about addiction, I mean, there's a reason it's called an addiction. It's not just a habit. It I is know an that. Addiction. I'm not being. I'm not and trying so to be insensitive. If, I'm trying to say like this is going back to the whole thing of yeah, like but you're still putting somebody in a box in a in a category. Like you're lacking. This is a defining characteristic. Whereas, I mean, again, if you believe that people can change and evolve as human beings, then if somebody's willpower be- becomes strong enough. And they're willing to make that change, then why would you not even give them a chance? Because I wouldn't be attracted to them in the first place. How do you know? Because I've seen and I've talked to incredibly amazing, beautiful women, and then they start smoking and it's an immediate turnoff. So you're telling me if that woman came back three months later and was no longer smoking, 
and you were still attracted to them, you would still wouldn't give them a chance. No, no. It's, if you're if you're done with smoking, great. You but just if we, completely got no. I didn't. If we meet, yourself. no. If we meet and you're a smoker, it ain't happening ever. Ain't, no. Ever. You just said to me that if they stop smoking and three months later, then you would then you would give yeah, them a chance after they're done smoking. Okay, so that's different. She's though. not a smoker anymore. That's my exact point. I don't think I'm getting your point. My point is that I believe that people can change. I do too. But I also know that if someone is not taking good care of themselves, it's an immediate turnoff to me. Right. This is part of a larger thing. I don't. So it's, it's it's a deal breaker for now, but it's not a it's in a way a temporary deal breaker because if you believe people can change, then what's something that you might not like in somebody, you're still open to the possibility that it could change, and then you might want to be with them. Of course, Got but it. we we can only live in the moment, and we can't live in the possibility of what might happen in the future. So with me, when I meet someone, it's like okay, cool. Our lifestyle choices in alignment to the way we see the world does it jive is the vibe there do we both value and have our hearts focused on similar and or compatible things even if they're different right but for me it's not and and listen dear fans and listeners i'm not trying to shit upon you for being a smoker my point is that if i meet someone and there's a connection and i i observe that they don't take the best care of themselves and smoking is just one part of that they could they Whatever it is, it's just, it turns me off, man. It's, uh, I can't, it's not, oh, well, you could shift. No, I don't want to shift it. I don't want to be attracted to someone who doesn't take good care of themselves. I don't want to be, and I'm glad I'm not. Like, and it's just, it's a thing. It's a, it's almost like, like, and this is a tangential analogy, but like pheromones, right? Like, it's either like when you like someone's smell and their vibe and their whole, the stuff they're just putting out in the world, misting, if you will, like you either vibe with it and you're attracted to it or you're not. Right. And so for me, if someone, if I observe that somebody isn't taking really good care of themselves, it's just, yeah, it's just a turnoff. Okay. Well, how about this scenario, though? Sometimes, and I think this is part of what we want to get into today and the inspiration for talking about this is, and I've been in this firsthand, so I'll speak with my experience, is I had been with somebody who I was just head over heels with very quickly. And it still felt like I was being very conscious about getting into the relationship, but it was one of those experiences where we went on a date, the date went great, and we spent every day together with, you know, for I think it was two or three weeks, right? And it was just one of those, wow, this is so amazing and so exciting. And everything just felt like it was falling into place. Not to say that I didn't have my, you know, doubts or fears come up during that time, but it did feel really good. And it wasn't until I don't know, at least a few months into the relationship that I started to notice what you're bringing up. This person had elements of him that indicated that he didn't prioritize his self-care. And it so it took me some time. I didn't even know this about him. I think part of the the element of relationships we want to talk about today is how you don't really know someone in the beginning. This is, yes. You can go through weeks, months with somebody in, in this honeymoon phase, as they call it, where either you have the rose-colored glasses on or people just haven't revealed their full selves to you. I think people can, it can actually take years for some people. And even couples in long-term relationships are still discovering things. Even people who think they'll be together forever still get break up or go through divorces. And that's probably one of the harder things about relationships is you you just never know. Because we've as we've talked about in other episodes, you know, we're we're both human beings. So t- two people coming into a relationship are 
bringing so much there and whether they're purposefully trying to hide something at the beginning or put on their best selves or whatever or holding back whatever so that they don't rock the boat and then then the boat boat may start to rock when they become feel more safer feel more safe in the relationship right and my point being jason is that again to be devil's advocate if you see something up front like smoking sure that's an indication for you right and i mean listen i'm not a smoker and i don't really want to be with someone who's a smoker either luckily it's not super common in the people that i meet these days but it also depends on what type of smoking we're referring to here oh of course of course (laughs) little side note but but my point being is that there are also times if where somebody will reveal over time something that might have been a deal breaker for you and you don't even recognize it until you're already really invested in the relationship. So what happens then? I believe they call that entrapment. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> I'm a psycho and obsessive and hacked into your computer. Install your password so I can spy on you, honey. Happy anniversary. Oh my <laughs> God, that's happened to me too. And not, that's not pleasant. It has? You were there, the guy oh, that I right, did it oh, right, right before right, you. Right. Oh, God, that I mean, was a mess. When Jason and I, Good God. he was so incredibly upset about me breaking up with him and dating Jason so quickly, which understandable. I mean, I'm sure it was very challenging for him. And it was felt easier for me to go through the breakup because I immediately got into another relationship. And as Jason and I have talked about many times, that probably wasn't the wisest choice for us for us to date so so quickly. But that's also just how it happened. And wh- what are we going to do? Like, I felt like we were being pretty conscious. We were just very excited about each other. We just didn't want to wait to date each other. And we had even talked about, do you remember this? We talked about maybe waiting like six months or so after our breakups. And it's just our willpower was probably not that strong or we made the choice not to. But anyways, probably a few weeks, month or so, this person started, they cyber hacked an account and were tweeting publicly about me, these horrible things and photos and all that. And then I found out months later that this person had been hacked into my email account and had been checking my emails and virtually spying on me for, I think, about six months before he admitted it to me. And it was horrifying, especially because this is a person that I had known and we had mutual friends. I met him through mutual friends and we dated for two years. And after those two years, I didn't ever think that someone would do that. So... It's not necessarily a cautionary tale because what are you going to do? Go around being scared that everybody you date, anyone new is going to betray you or or do something crazy like that? I mean, that's the thing about relationships is that you basically, it just takes a lot of courage to go into them. It takes a lot of trust and faith. And I think that's the reason why some people don't get into relationships or distance themselves from people or, or sabotage things is they're just so deeply afraid either of something that's never happened to them that they suspect could happen or because they've gone through challenging things in the past and they're afraid it's going to happen again. Yeah. It's interesting how the heart heals and the will to connect can return. And, you know, you saw me go through a really hard breakup uh, three years ago. Was that really three years ago? Yes, three years. Well, it's gonna, mm, coming up on yeah, three years ago. Yeah, two and a half. It's coming up. Yeah. And, you know, it's that feeling of, of such devastation when something like that ends the heartbreak and the expectation, thinking about the future and all, you know, 
the mending process and the healing process that occurs, you know, and there's this thought. And I remember being like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to do this again. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. But one of my aims in life is to unfold to as much unconditional love as I possibly can. I stumble sometimes, but I, I feel like I'm getting better at practicing unconditional love. And in that, I think, you know, I reflect on how heartbroken, how, how just destroyed I was thinking back now and where I'm at right now and feeling strong and feeling clear and feeling at ease um, more so now with my heart. And I, I just think there's a beauty in taking risks and being courageous enough to say yes to things, not knowing how they're going to unfold, not knowing a person completely yet because it does take years and years, not even knowing what the outcome is going to be and doing it anyway because something is telling you this feels right. This feels good. So part of the lesson that I think we're both sharing here is that, you know, despite some of the hardest moments that we've experienced during and after relationships, we still got up and tried again and we found that faith. And I think that speaks to us as individuals, but it also is hopefully inspiring anyone that struggles with that. And I I don't think that there's anything wrong with, with that if you're struggling, if you're somebody that's trying to avoid relationship, whatever, like that's just where you're at in your life at this point. And the other thing that this brings up for me, though, is I think as human beings, we're always looking for strategies. We're looking for the ideal way and the wrong way to do things. We've talked about this in other episodes, like right versus wrong, black and white, all of that. And at this time in my life, I I don't know if there's a right way to do a relationship or a wrong way. I mean, I've done a lot of things in relationships that felt good at the time and then later found out maybe they weren't the best choices. And then there's still part of me that's like, what am I going to do? I can't go back in time and change it. If I made that choice, that was the choice that felt right for me at the time. And I think part of the inspiration for us doing this episode today was based on this video that we saw from Jay Shetty. Shetty. Thank you. I want to pronounce his name right. And we can link to this in the show notes too. His point was, and some advice that he was giving is that to take your time getting to know somebody, that was part of his advice, right? And I'll let Jason jump in because I know he really wanted to summarize his feelings from this. But before that, I just want to say that, I don't, you know, yes, we can sit here and go, well, this is, this is how I'm going to do it. Like the next time I meet someone, I'm going to take my time. But even, even if, you, if you like went through every lesson you've learned about love and the things that you've learned from other people, there's still no guarantee it's going to work out. There's no magic formula for love. If there was, then nobody would have relationship troubles. But even the people that have had fantastic relationships that we perceive from the outside, they still have challenges and they, things come up that are unexpected and things that they don't know how to navigate through. So there's part of me that thinks like you still have to take the, the strategies and the advice with a grain of salt because... Is that the right phrase? With a grain of salt? Yes, with a grain of salt. I don't know. What, I don't know what the origin of that yeah, is. Of, but it, but it is a the what phrase are you is do? correct. Pick out one piece of salt. Well, you could if the chunks are big and enough. Take it with what? I don't know. I want to know the origin of that. With but. a grain of salt, with a bit of skepticism. Hmm. Interesting. Or I, it would always, almost make more sense, like as a grain of salt. Like, yeah, this is just one little part of the whole. I don't know. Change it here and now. <laughs> We're going to change the phrase. We're going to change the colloquialism here, here and now. But do you see what I'm saying uh-huh. is that I'm just very recently, I've, I've just been thinking so much probably over the past month is really reflecting on my viewpoints of with love. 
And it's almost like I'm getting cracked open and having all these new ideas about it that I haven't considered before. And there'll be days where I have a feeling and I feel so attached to that feeling, Jason. And then the next day, I don't even know, identify with that feeling anymore. Does that happen to you too? I think whenever you're going, this probably comes a, a lot when you're going through a breakup, a really hard time. I mean, coming back to the one that you were sharing that happened back in 2016, right? Is, I mean, you probably had highs and lows, ups and downs, like from hour to hour, right? Yeah. It's almost like torture, <laughs> that feeling, because you it's not even a consistent pain because you're, it's all about what your mind is doing and how you're responding to the thoughts that are coming up for you and, and trying not to become too attached to them. But then we, we can become very attached to, to these thoughts and thinking that those are true and, and becoming very absolute about them. But then you look back and you realize like, those are just thoughts. And also in our thinking, okay, for me, if I look back on that, I also need to take a lot of personal responsibility in the expectations I had, in the assumptions I made, in also realizing that I didn't know the full history of this person or what they went through. You know, it's there's something to be said for getting to know someone and letting it go at the pace it wants, yes. And at the same time, there's no formula here. It's it's like it's like when I say the pace it wants, what I mean is this, right? It's like I do my best to see the best in everyone. I, I really, I feel like I make a conscientious effort to try and see the good qualities in people, especially when I feel like there's a deep romantic connection being created with someone. It's like, I really want to be present and see the good qualities of that person. And I also know though, that if I'm going to be in any relationship for any length of time, I'm going to see sides of them that might be unexpected, right? It's like, in any deep relationship, I'm going to see this person crying, broken down, probably not believing in themselves, angry at themselves, angry at me, angry at the world, swimming in chaos. As much as I see them in laughter and peace and their fullness. And, and to me, it's about, okay, and I just need to go for a, a minute longer of like deconstructing my mental expectations around, as you said, the media and movies and literature and music and all this stuff about, quote, perfect love which is usually about people in the beginning of their relationship. Like everything was great and we were surrounded by flowers and birds and chocolate and sex and um, magic and all that. Well, a lot of media is also and, about and the end of a relationship. It is. <laughs> and I think the interesting part is the in-between of if I say yes to you, I know that I'm saying yes to layers that have not yet been revealed. And I'm also saying yes to the fact that if I'm choosing you, you're probably a person who's dedicated to growth and, ev and evolution on some level. So the person that I'm, quote, in love with now is not going to be the same woman that wakes up in my bed tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now or, you know, God providing 10 years from now. You're not going to be the same woman. And so it's this question of, am I willing to allow myself to be surprised in many different ways by the evolution and the layers of this person that I haven't even seen yet? And that does take a lot of courage. And commitment, really, yeah, yeah, as absolutely. Jay was saying in that video, sure. is that love is about commitment. Even when it's not fun or laughter or roses, are you willing to stick in it? And that's interesting, too, because it takes two people to be committed, right? Yes, it does. And it, it is actually very remarkable to me that people have long, healthy relationships because they're, 
at least in this time in my life, I just think, wow, like not only do I have to get to that point where I feel that committed and I feel that grounded in myself and 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 clear and open and vulnerable and all those different things that it takes but then i you know it's finding somebody else that's going to match that yeah wants to meet you there right sometimes that feels really challenging right because you can meet someone and they might seem like they can meet you there but you later find out that they can't or won't and then maybe they have a different understanding of what a relationship is and how i mean it's it's tough relationships, the older I get, the more I realize how challenging. I remember there was a point in my life, or maybe it was most of my life up until this point, I had just felt so perplexed as to why relationships couldn't work out. I just saw them so... I wasn't even trying to be wise about it. I think it was just the way that I viewed relationships out of perhaps ignorance is that I just was perplexed why they wouldn't work. (laughs) And then, then at some point, I don't remember how old I was when I, when it occurred to me and maybe it was just through my own experiences and relationships and and realizing things like, wow, how is this not working? I thought that they checked off all these boxes. This person had everything that I thought I wanted. And it's really not that simple. And that's what I mean when it comes down to a strategy. It's that, you know, two people have to be in agreement with that strategy. Two people have to be committed to that strategy. I think this is also one of the benefits of religious take on relationships. I think one of the reasons that, you know, you look at cultures where they have arranged marriages, those marriages tend to, I think, statistically last much longer, right? Is that these people are coming together not because they fell in love and there was like this love at first sight moment or whatever, right? Yeah. You're staring at me blankly. I don't know if you're on with me, but these relationships where they're put together by two families. It's almost like they are strategic. I think it's the point being is it's a commitment thing. They Maybe they don't even see another option. They think, okay, my parents chose me for this person. This is the person I'm going to marry, and I'm committed to making it work. And they just figure it out, right? And But there's part of me maybe as a Westerner who sees that, and I think, wow, it's not, that's not romantic. Like I want to have my free will and choose who I want. I want to experience the butterfly, all of that stuff. But is it at the cost of maybe not ending up in a relationship that works so well? I think also to that point of Jay's video is is a lot of people just kind of like get drawn to each other and they spend a few weeks together that are really amazing. And <laughs> and then they realize that it's not really that amazing or it was only temporarily amazing, yeah. right? I mean, I, this this is so interesting you bring this up because I think the philosophy of marrying somebody you're in love with is relatively new to human culture because traditionally, as you alluded to with arranged marriage, marriage was not just, um, from what I understand historically, you know, a religious union, but it was done because families wanted to strategically unite to share resources and power. So if you had two families in a country, a province, a town, whatever, by uniting their families, they're sharing livestock and crops and money and power and land. So very recently, right? Like just a few generations, this idea of I need to truly deeply love the person I'm with. This is new. This is new to us. And it's, I mean, we're obviously in a really interesting new time where we we have dating sites. We, we talked about this in the other episode yeah. where we Tinder and Bumble and all these other platforms. Those are so new. 
And then dating sites are still relatively new past, what, 15, 20 years, maybe? I mean, in terms of their popularity. And I look back on my dad's parents who were with each other till the end, right? I remember how many years they were married. My grandma was in her 80s. So I think maybe they at least 50, 50 or 60 years would be my guess. I don't know exactly how old she was when they met. My grandfather was 97 and a half when he passed away. And so she had passed away maybe like five years before him or something. So for him, you know, he's in his 90s when he loses his wife to death and he, you know, didn't didn't remarry in that the, the rest of the years that he had left. And I really loved hearing their story because they made it through their marriage very happily. I mean, I don't know the depth of the challenges they had, but my perception as their granddaughter just seemed like they had this great relationship. And actually, I spoke to my grandfather a little under two days before he passed, and I talked to him about his relationship with my grandma. And he actually was very matter-of-fact about it. I kind of expected him to be more reminiscent about it. I remember being very surprised at his reaction because I think I asked her, I asked him, what he missed most about her. And I think he said her presence. I think that was his answer, which is sweet. But I remember the way he said it, it didn't feel that room. It was just kind of this matter of fact. He didn't even, he didn't get into this place of, I don't know, I guess maybe for me, I was romanticizing it that my grandfather just was really longing for my grandma around. But he just actually was very accepting about it. And that was one of the things that I loved about my grandfather is he just, he didn't let life get to him too much. But anyways, my point bringing him up is that they met, I think they were out with friends or something. But my grandma said that she knew the moment they met, like there, it was just one of this relationships that just felt like, oh, here's my person. This is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I mean, the way that they described, at least in my memory, was that it was just kind of a matter-of-fact relationship. They met each other. They really liked each other. He courted her, and he did a lot of really romantic gestures. Then they had a family with three children, and and he moved to her town, and they got a house there, and that's where they spent the rest of their lives. And so it was kind of like this very simple type of thing, right? And I don't know off the top of my head if my grandma had even dated other people before him, (laughs) like what their dating history was. So, and this is, let's do the math here. Oh yeah. I don't know. So maybe the thirties or early forties, that would be my guess (laughs) without actually doing the the math. But it was just, I guess, fascinating because back then maybe it was just kind of this more practical view of marriage. Like, oh, I met this person. I really like them. I'm going to get married to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I look at my parents' relationship. They're also still together and and happily married, all things considered. And they met when my mom was in college and my dad was in law school. So she was probably around 20-something, right? And they've been together ever since. And um, I know that she she often tells the story of this other boyfriend, (laughs) Uh, so I know that there was at least one other significant relationship, but that might've been it. I mean, my mom probably dated a few people, met my dad, fell in love, and they have been committed to each other ever since. Now it's, it's interesting you bring this up, right? Because if we look at our parents and our grandparents' generation, and then 
recently, I remember reading an article about marriage and divorce rates with millennials, and that they're uh, they're theorizing that by virtue of millennials and to a lesser extent Gen Xers being more selective and having more relationships and going on more dates and waiting that uh, divorce rates in the millennial generation are actually much lower. Yes. And and so I think it's interesting, right? Because same story with my grandparents, like they met at a bar, fell in love, psh, done deal, done like 65 years, done. And now it's like, I mean, you know, I, 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 I mean, I have my parents and, and, but I, I also like think about myself, how many relationships I've been in, how many people I've dated and, and but going back to your parents, I mean, cause both of our parents were in the generation where divorce started to become more common. Correct. Right. Correct. So your mom, well, my mom and dad ever, weren't, no, were my mom, married. no. So technically Whitney, I am a bastard. Like we assumed Jon Snow was spoiler alert. He's not. <clears throat> so yeah, when people are like, you're such a bastard. I'm like, well, that's technically correct. Do you have another insult you'd like to fling at me? One that's untrue. Um, So, yeah, I was born out of wedlock. So, yeah, they, I mean, you know. And then in our lifetimes, mine mine and Jason's, what the divorce rate, I don't know what it is right now, but it's been at 50% at some point. I believe you are correct. Right? Yeah. Which is kind of not, I mean, it's kind of like not just rolling a dice, it's flipping a coin. Pretty much. (laughs) Flipping, yeah. It's like, hey, you want to do this? "Eh, Okay. Let's go to Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like kind of common, but then. But then I feel like with, uh, for me being a millennial, you're not considered a millennial. I am Jason. Gen X. You're beyond the cusp. I'm your elder. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you're saying, for millennials, the divorce rate has gone down. But again, that's part of, partially because they're being more selective. Yes. But it's interesting because I would imagine that our grandparents' generation didn't get married, didn't get divorced as frequently. I would right? assume that. So I have, don't like see some, the stats, but yeah. Some odd like phase for a few generations where divorce became very common. And then what's interesting with millennials though, is that they're getting married later in life, but then that doesn't fully correlate with why our grandparents who got married. I mean, how old were your grandparents when they got married? Early twenties. Yeah. I mean, I mean my I grandmother like, might've even been a teenager. Exactly. To like be getting married in your late teens, early twenties was very commonplace for our grandparents. Mm-hmm. And then our parents' generation was probably 20s ish i don't know i wish i had all these statistics and then i think that trend continued on but i think just now again with mainly with the younger millennials because people that are closer to my age even it was still pretty common for people to get married in their early to mid 20s like in their 20s period late 20s or mid 20s was common Getting married in your 30s seems like you're kind of old, but but now we're getting to a point where that's becoming more acceptable and maybe even more beneficial for us. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's just like these are all just trends and statistics, but what does it even mean? Well, I, well, can I can I fling a few, few ideas out that I think are interesting in my head? So I think that there was a, a couple things. The conditioning to get married really young, teens, early 20s. I mean, I think that was probably partially due to the fact that generations ago, our lifespan wasn't what it is now, right? So our lifespan, I think for men is right now, the the American male is somewhere in the 70s, women it's 80s. So the lifespan in say the past two to 300 years has really exponentially increased. And the other thing is financially, as you were saying earlier, that was actually something that I read or heard about the divorce rates for millennials, is that one of the reasons is that 
women are more financially depend independent now. Yes. Especially millennial women tend to yes. make their own money. Yes. And now that the wages are going up for women and there's I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but the the difference in pay is becoming more evened out. It's not there yet. Yeah. So women are maybe marrying later and they're doing it because of love, not because they're trying to be financially dependent. Whereas I think my grandmother on my on my dad's side and probably my mother, to be honest, uh, there was a, a drive to marry someone that would provide for them, right? Yeah. Whereas for me, I'm like, I actually would much prefer to provide for myself. I think it'd be beneficial to have somebody with joint income. I mean, that sounds nice. I feel like it it would truly be joint. It wouldn't be like, let the man make all the money. It would be, let's both make money and let's support each other in our lives together. That sounds really nice. But I know that I'm part of that equation as well. And I think that's been a big shift. Yeah. No, I, I thank you for saying that. I, I think the life expectancy growing exponentially, what you said about the income gap closing and, and women's rights and women's pay becoming more equalized. And then the third thing I think that stands out here too is the disassociation in a lot of people's minds culturally between the religious aspect of, you know, we're getting married in the eyes of God. And so therefore we need to stay together because then we'd be breaking a vow to God. I think new spirituality, people's different spiritual beliefs, breaking away from this idea that divorce is immoral or against God, that attitude and that belief shifting I think is a huge part of this too. It's hard to say if it's really shifting though, because for me, I went a few years ago, was going to, to a Christian church regularly. And most of the people there were in their late 20s, early 30s, and a great majority of them were, were married. And I witnessed so much of that Christian marriage dynamic between them. And it was really fascinating to me because it made me realize that I hadn't spent that much time with Christians in that sense. I mean, in terms of religious Christians. And I think that's sometimes it's hard for us to really see the statistics. I mean, unless we're actually looking at statistics, but but maybe we're also in this bubble of, of living in California and being around a lot of more spiritually minded people that seem more free spirited. Whereas in my experience, and, and I witness this in my family too, and I pay more attention and, and just noticing uh, people's behavior online. Even actually when Jason and I were learning more about the people, the demographic of people that have been into our work with Wellevator, a lot of them are married and a lot of them feel, consider themselves religious Correct. and not spiritual. Correct. And so I think that's still a huge part of marriage right now. I think that religion is still... Uh, keeping people together in a very committed way. And I think that's actually very sweet. You know, there's one thing that I noticed when I was going to church every week is that the the men that were probably even a little younger than me just felt so committed to their wives and the things that they would post on social media and the things that they would say and, and the way that they would act around each other, I thought was so beautiful because outside of church, I would see men that were the same age or older and having completely different dynamics with their girlfriends, right? Or maybe even their wives. And so I, I did find that it seemed to me that the people that were very religious 
had a different perspective on their relationships. And that's really fascinating to me too. I just think it's interesting in general, you know, this evolution of how we talk about love and how we discern between lust and passion and then this unconditional love, which I think is very much based in commitment. You know, and we talked about this and, and also from a language perspective, right? Falling in love is such a weird thing. I still catch myself saying it, but then I catch myself saying it and I'm like, that's not actually what I want. I don't want to fall. You were thinking about this before we saw Jay's video? Yeah, I was. I've, I've been thinking about it a lot, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that, you know, expanding into love, rising into love, meeting someone in love. Like, that's that just physically, energetically feels so much better than falling in love. Because falling, you know, to me just sounds like, oh, you know, it's this idea that I'm, you know, giving my whole self over. It's like, you are giving of yourself. But what I think is important in any relationship, specifically romantic, is to co-create something with this person, right? To give yourself to this union. It's almost like this this third energy exists now. There's your energy, there's your partner's energy, and then there's this third energy, which is the unit. But one thing that I think is it's like a, my Is opinion. it called a Venn diagram with the two circles that come together? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Venn diagram. Thank you for saying that. And so it's not necessarily a third thing. It's just where the two where circles intersect. But I see it as as a container, a, a containers being created that these two people are filling up. And for me, you know, I always think about just the nature and the quality of the love that's created with someone because we use this word love, right? And I think the Greeks were as close to anything in terms of accurately describing because they had what seven, eight, nine, ten different kinds of love that they would use in their language. There was like you know eros and and philia, philos, which is Philadelphia, which is a brother bro, brotherly love. They had you know, the kind of familial love. They had romantic love. They had not just one word. They had many words to describe the quality of the energy of the love you felt, right? Because how I love my car is not how I love you, how I love Bella, how I love my career, how I love my Japanese pen, how I love my mother. I have a Japanese pen I really love. Yeah. But See, this is the thing. You can you can be really close friends with someone and still hear them talk about things yeah, that you've never heard before. Yeah, it's a fantastic Japanese before. pen. What? But I'll, we'll talk about that later. My point is this, <laughs> that the, the quality of the love I experience for an inanimate object is different than my mother, is different than my girlfriend, is different than my best friend. We use this word to try and encapsulate it all, but the nuances and the subtleties and, and the intention of those kinds of love, they're all very, very different. And my point is this, I feel like one of the ways that I see society and people getting caught up in this. So from a societal perspective, I think that it's interesting in terms of thinking about how we're using language to describe love, that when people talk about love, a lot of people, and we look at media inf you know, influencing this, it's not actually love, it's conditional affection. It's I'll love you as long as you act a certain way or you do certain things, but the moment you decide you want to be someone else, or you do something I dislike or disapprove of, I'm retracting my quote, love from you. It's not actually love. I observe that a lot of people are conditionally affectionate and amorous, but that's not really love, in my opinion. I think there's a difference, and I think there's a lot of confusion between those two things. Interesting. That's my observation. Because a lot of people, it's like, you know, you're all whatever. Oh, we're crazy in love. Oh, until like he did this one thing. And I don't mean cheating. I don't mean, I mean. But some people, uh, there's a lot of couples that are even together after cheating. I mean, so for some people, that's for not sure. even a deal breaker. No, for sure. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is is 
there seems to be an aspect romantically of our culture that's a bit disposable in the sense of as soon as this person does something or acts a certain way, like I'm going to ghost them or I'm going to let go of them because as wonderful as dating apps are, I think I just have observed in a lot of young people, right? That it's this thing of like on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one, because all you literally have to do is just pick up the phone and just swipe and find someone new. And whether that's a conscious decision or a subconscious thing, I think that there's a thing going on there where it's like, hey, I got all these options. I may as well keep all the doors open. Why should I just pick one? Do- Why should I just pick one door? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people there's there's commitment issues because there's so much availability all the time. Right. And so how do you even know if the next person is going to be any better? You don't. Right. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And it's I find that it, it's incredibly confusing. There are times when I think back to how my grandparents' relationships seem to go and just think, wow, I was actually thinking about this a couple of days ago, just how wonderful it seems to meet somebody and just decide to be with them and then spend 60, 70 years together, you know? But I also, I don't know if, if th- maybe the, these people, even though they are happily married, what if they're also wondering if they could have been with somebody else, right? Or been, you know, it's... So the grass is always greener and I don't know if it's always that easy, right? Because there's also part of me that thinks it's kind of nice that I'm not married yet because I haven't had to spend my life with the same person. You know what I mean? It sounds really comfortable to be with somebody. I think for me, not being married, I feel there's this disease at times of, oh, am I ever going to get married? Am I going to have children? Those questions coming up. So maybe I, I just wonder what will it feel like to get married? And will I be with that person? And what would it feel like to have kids and no longer have that question in my head anymore? Right? So that's something I've just never experienced. And it definitely when it comes to kids, you know, you, you make that decision and you're, th- you're there for the rest of your life. Whereas I think marriage is slightly different in that some people still think that they could change their minds and get a divorce, mm-hmm. right? And so there's also something to be said for the people that, you know, get, again, going back to some religions where getting a divorce is not really an option for most people, then what does it feel like to get married and know that you're, you're committed and you're no longer in a place of questioning and wondering? One of my friends that I went to church with said this to me, that when she got married, her she felt completely different about her husband once they said their vows and she said it she couldn't quite explain it but something majorly shifted and i think that she also said it was something about the commitment that brought them so much closer and maybe it was just another level of trust and security which i think as human beings is a very natural thing we want to feel secure you know, it's something about survival. It's, there's something about that companionship, knowing that you don't have to do things alone and knowing that you'll always have somebody there to listen or to laugh with you or do things with you, all of those forms of companionship. And then, like I'm saying, maybe not having to question it. You know, will I will I be with this person? Will I have a date this weekend? You know, and that that does have its appeal. Although I'd also say the older I get, the more I kind of value my 
my independence as a woman and I wonder what would I feel like in being married? Would there be part of me that felt kind of like trapped or kind of panicked in the sense of feeling like my I'm no longer independent. I can't just do whatever I want all the time because <laughs> I'm now in a relationship maybe for the rest of my life where everything that I do and the decisions that I make are part of the dynamic with my husband. And Jason, for you, you've never been married either. So what are your feelings about all of this? I mean, I have, I definitely have a very, well, let me, before I share my vision for that, I don't find it to be a necessity to be married. I'm going to say that. It's like, if I were not to be married, I don't think it would crush me. And I do have a specific vision in my head of being married and how I'd like to be married. And does it need to be marriage or partnership? I mean, no, I, think- I mean, I, I have a very like, I like the, I, I personally like the idea. There's a, in my heart, like I get a warm, loving feeling that kind of washes over me when I think about choosing a person. Like I'm, use the door analogy. Like I've shut all the other doors. This is the door I've chosen. I'm shutting the door and I'm going to be in the room with you. Like this is the room I've chosen, right? To me, there's something very deep and soulful about that level of commitment to a person, another person. And I don't know, I just have this idea that that commensurating the union whilst, and I don't, I'm not talking about like 100, 200 people. I mean, a small group of people that I really deeply love in my life, you know, and I actually have a vision, like an actual vision in my head of like how I'd like to get married, you know, and I, I, I see it as there are these parts of the California coast where the forest meets the sea, where you'll have these immense lush forests and they'll push right up against like a cliffside next to the ocean, right? And I just have this vision of being in the forest barefoot with my soon-to-be wife. And, you know, there's this ocean view, but we're in nature. We're surrounded by these beautiful trees. And there's a small group of our like deepest loved ones just witnessing this. And it's very simple and it's very natural. And we're just with nature and we're, I don't, I just, I have this very specific vision for that. It's really interesting. It's so like in my mind, it's so clear in my mind. I can almost feel and smell and like be there. So what I, yeah, what I like to get married? Absolutely. But is that what you're describing is something that I think of too. I love the idea of having a wedding. <laughs> to me, the wedding sounds so wonderful. And I'm also somebody who wouldn't mind spending a lot of money on a wedding. I actually, speaking of Evie, like, I mean, I would, I would love, she's getting old now. So it sometimes makes me sad because I thought, wow, it'd be so nice if I had kids and Evie was still around, you know? even though she can drive me crazy with barking like this moment. But it'd be so nice to have her at my wedding, you know, those sort of things. So as she gets older, I I see that being less and less of a possibility. Don't worry about her. I think Jason's very concerned about Evie in this moment. And time will tell with the podcast whether we need to continue to stop every time she barks, but she's very activated by something in this moment. If she starts (laughs) burrowing through the door, maybe we just need to get a doggy door for the podcast room. No, exactly. For sure. I mean, just going back to, to me, a wedding ceremony, there, there's something about it that's so sweet. And I hope that I get to experience that. And I, I really want to experience that too, as I get older. But, uh, you know, we have to think beyond that. And again, to go, to your point about this choice to be with somebody, it, it is really sweet. I'm just wondering if you, Jason, now that you're in your 40s, like, 
it's just, there's a completely different relationship to the thought of marriage for me, the older I get. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I'm wondering if you're, if you feel that too, because it's, it's no longer in my head as like a given, like it's definitely going to happen, you know? And I think it's not, it's not about me being older physically. It's about my mentality that shifted as I've gotten older and how I don't see it as, of course, I'm going to get married like I used to, right? And of course, I'm going to have kids. I don't know, right? So now it's it's almost more precious. It's almost like I can look at it and maybe it's it's about letting go of the expectation, right? Of thinking, wow, it'll actually be remarkable if I do get married and have kids because at this point, it's very up in the air. It's very unclear. And I don't want to get married just to get married. I think that's the other thing. The reason, the thing that I value about being older and unmarried is that versus like, you know, the people that get married in their 20s or whatever, is that I think it's just the fact that I've had a, a chance to really reflect on it, you know? And I think if I had gotten married 10, 15 plus years ago, that I would have, there are times when I just cannot imagine being married 10 years ago or so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, and I know friends that were married or had kids back then. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, like the things that I've learned about myself and the things I've experienced. Now, granted, we never know. It's like the sliding doors type of thing. We don't know like who we would become if we had gotten married at any other point previous to now, right? But I, it's, it's, there's part of me that does feel grateful that I, I have not gone to, down that path yet because I'm learning so much about myself being an unmarried woman, you know? And maybe I would have learned very different things about myself being a married woman. For, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. And I guess it just goes back to this idea of it just doesn't matter to me. This is just the way that my life has panned out based on the choices that I've made and perhaps due to whatever the universe has in store for me. I don't feel like I've ever gone through a point of denying or trying, you know, I, I think actually most of my relationships, there have been that hope that I would get married, right? Is that something that you, you're still hoping for when you're with somebody? And do you find yourself kind of like evaluating this person? Like, hmm, I'm only going to be serious with them if I could see myself marrying them. I mean, it's not really about marrying them. It's would they make a good, uh, would they make a good caretaker for my animals? <laughs> That's to be but quite honest. Will you make a good, uh, you know, will you as make a good- As sweet as that is, your animals are not going to, you know, your relationship may go beyond their years, <laughs> No, right? I know that. I know that. I know that. It's, I'm half joking, but half not. It's, um. And I, and I say that because I've literally brought dates over over to my place that were like aloof about the animals. And I'm like, this is, we're done. Talk about a deal we're, breaker. We're literally done. Like if you, if you, if they like, <laughs> and I've had people that have like recoiled with the animals. I'm like, you can get the F out of here right now. You can take your shit and go right now. Goodbye. Isn't that judgmental? No, it's a preference. Mm, no. I want someone to love my animals the way I love them. I can or, relate to that more you know, than your it, cigarette statement. It, it, Again, even though. It's not about the cigarettes, no, but I feel like there's something about yeah. it's you, you know your animals are the closest for each of us. They're like EB, my children, yeah, like okay? So it's like oh you don't oh you don't dig them. Oh you're you're recoiling. You're physically one. You're physically recoiling from them. You better go. Take your ramen leftovers and go. Just go. Namaste. Is that is that a literal reference? <laughs> 
Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, there were, there were, yeah. So, real story, true life. Um, no, I, I, I think there, I mean, look, I, I am doing my best to not project too much when I go into a relationship now, and I think I'm doing better at it than, oh, the future, and oh, wouldn't it be like, no, how about you stay present? And maybe one day you'll find yourself in the forest barefoot with this person. I don't know. I don't know shit. All Hopefully, in, in the in the context of a marriage and not like some horror story. Yeah, right. Like running, like, run, <laughs> run. Um, I I'm trying to have so many, so much less expectations. So when you say, "Do I have hope that for marriage when I'm with someone new?" I mean, I don't really. To be honest, I don't allow my mind to indulge in those kind of things the way it used to in my 20s and 30s. Maybe it's because I've had my heart broken so much and allowed my heart to be broken. Maybe because it's I've I've you know dated and been in relationship with as many people as I have. But I kind of feel like now, especially the the current one I'm in, because it's so new, is I'm I'm just not trying to project ideas into the future, truly. And if I find my mind wandering there, I try and focus on the present moment because I don't want to play in the future. I have no idea what wants to happen. I have no idea what wants to be. I do know what feels good to me. What feels like my gut is telling me to do. And I can just keep saying yes to that moment to moment and trust that it's going to lead me to where I need to be. And that but makes so much that's more all sense. all I can control. Because if we, going back to what we were saying about, about the purpose of marriage, we're in a time where you can have children and not be married, right? And you can have par- long-term partnerships and joint bank accounts Share property, all of it. Yeah, I mean, what is there? Like, there's a tax incentive to being married, or there's certain rights, or you know, like someone gets sick. Like, there's there's certain benefits to it, and it's it's wonderful that it's becoming available for more people in in different types of relationships. And I think it's 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 a nice option, right? But it's it's it doesn't need to be the goal, right? And and for some people, maybe it maybe it really does feel important to be the goal. And I think there's still a cultural expectation, like why aren't you married yet? You're this age, or why don't you have kids yet? But it's a lot of the times the people that say those things are people that are already married, and maybe they just assume that other people want to get married or are going to get married, or other people that have kids. Or I often hear that from older generations, they seem to be the more judgmental. But when I talk to other people that are closer to me in age, and especially those that aren't married. They they don't care if you're they don't ask you these things. There's no judgment around it. And so beyond the judgment, beyond some of the benefits in society to being mar- married, I mean, why does it really matter if you are or aren't? Mm, I think it's the romantic notion that I found the one and the, and this deep psychological romance around like I found my person. Like that is such a, a deeply idealized thing in our literature. And I mean, it's thousands and thousands of years. I mean, are look, you saying that you relate to that too, Jason? Or are you just saying from a society? No, I relate to that too. I mean, I mean, I think about, you know, growing up and all the ancient Greek myths and the Roman myths and the Egyptian mythology and, and religion. And I mean, you know, th- th- this idea of romance and love and Shakespearean stuff. I mean, this is nothing new. This is thousands of years of human story. And human legend and human myth, you know, constructed around love and romance and connection. And, and I think that, you know, this whole vision I have of like, I'm standing barefoot in the forest with, with my love and we're, you know, we're getting married and there's flowers and there's nature and 
you know, there's baby deer and pigs and God knows what, you know, the animals just come in from the forest. Like it's a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, that's very, it's a very romantic notion. And I, when I say romantic, I mean that in a very literary sense of like the, the vision I have in my head is very cinematic and very romantic. Isn't the origin of romantic like from Roman times? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is again, why is, coming back to my question at the very beginning of this episode is, is you need to read the book selfie <laughs> because it's really, it's actually encouraging me to dig further back into history and, and culture because it's fascinating when you look at the origin of human behavior and culture and psychology and all these different things is that part of the hypothesis in the book is are, are, are we just being controlled by society and culture and tradition and all that? Are we being ruled by all those things? And so maybe that's why we feel in conflict with some things is that they're not necessarily what works best for us or what we really want, but they're things that we've been taught and conditioned into wanting and thinking and all that. And, and it's, it's really fascinating to me. So I think the more that I've read that book and started thinking about life from that perspective, the more that I, I just feel in a place of questioning mm -hmm. the things that I've wanted mm -hmm. in a good way. And in in, to me, a, a really healthy way that's helping me understand myself more and then also surrender to all the unknown. I think that's important because it's a critical examination, right? Into what do I authentically want? What's an original desire or, or an original thought? And what's a conditioned desire or a conditioned thought? I mean, this is, you, you've touched on a massive thing. It's not just about love. It's about so many things of how do I actually truly feel or perceive this thing? And what is just the program that I'm running that was installed in me that I might not even be aware of that's running me? This is deep, man. That's just, oh, that's a constant examination and a constant unraveling. But I feel like once you commit to that and once you start going down that rabbit hole, there's really no turning back. <laughs> that's where Honestly, I feel like I'm at right now. <laughs> there's no turning back. <laughs> and I, I enjoy it. I, I think I, I'm someone that I've always been a why person. I like to understand why things are and why I am and all that. I don't know if there are really any answers. It might just be getting all these little clues, collecting things and constantly shifting. And, you know, um, I think one thing I've been reflecting a lot about is just this idea that maybe it's not about arriving anywhere. You know, I feel like so much of our lives are centered around this idea of arriving. I found the one and I'm married to that person. I've arrived. I got the career that I wanted and I got the success. I reached the milestones. I've arrived. And it's, as we've talked about in other episodes, what happens when you do arrive? And is it true that you've arisen? Like, are you, are you ever satisfied with the place that you're at or is it just on to the next thing? And uh, it just starts to reframe life for me and my goals and, and what's important to me. And I, I become a little bit more fluid and, and less connected to expectations the more that I just think whatever's going to be will be. Right? It's true. That feels more comfortable to me right now, but who knows? I could change my mind in the next hour after my yoga class. You could. You probably will. Minds do that. They change. <laughs> yeah. 
But that's the thing. I think the reality in, in love, in life, is we have no idea what's waiting for us. We can't accurately predict what's going to happen. So I think to me, the most sane option that I have found is to try and just make a loving, clear decision moment to moment and do my best to do that. Some, some moments I'm better at it than others. And if you really want something, you commit to it. And I think that's probably sure. the reason commitment is so important to love is it's not about what you want. In fact, Jay's shit. Sh- I, I keep messing Shetty. Shetty. I don't know why that's tough for me to remember. What he says in that video we watch is that it's not about your mood changing because your mood's going to change a lot. Oh, yeah. And your feelings are going to change too. Yeah. (laughs) It's about committing. So no matter what you feel or what mood you're in, you're committed to making this work. Marriage is a commitment. Love is a commitment. And so you have to decide as an individual if you're committed to something. And then you have to find somebody else who's equally committed. And uh, I haven't found that yet. So who knows? But we keep looking. Keep staying open to the possibilities. It's all we can do. But this is the ongoing examination, right? Because as we say yes to love and we say yes to relationships, any relationships, they're going to teach us more about ourselves. They always do. And I think, you know, my final thought here on this um, topic of commitment wit is I have also found this very same thing in, you know, my creative or business endeavors is that when I'm all in and I don't have one foot out the door, like, um, kind yeah, I, yeah, no, when, when, when like literally as we sit in this room, the door is shut and we are in it, whether that's romance or business or art, there is something about shutting the damn door and locking the thing and just being with it. There is such a flowering and an expansion and a deepening of your relationship to whatever it is you're focusing on that I think my experience can only be achieved by shutting the door and focusing on the person or the thing that's right in front of you and not keeping all the doors open like, oh, my options and just, you know, we're always one foot in, one foot out. And it's okay if you are. I mean, we all, I know what that feeling feels like, but I also know that there was a depth and a nourishment that I could never get to when I had one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what it'll be like to be all in. Absolutely. So that's our encouragement is how can you be all in in your life? How can all of us be all in? And what areas are we maybe feeling like our hearts want to be full in, but our minds are trying to talk us out of it? Like, this is scary. Remember last time you did this? Remember what happened last time? But your mind is always going to be there jabbering bullshit in your, in your ear. I think the question is, can we cultivate the courage to trust our hearts and be all in knowing that there are no guarantees, knowing that we don't know the outcome? knowing that we don't know how this person is going to act or react. But ultimately, I mean, isn't that it is like taking the great leap over and over and over, you know, getting our ass kicked, healing, taking the leap again, getting our ass kicked, healing, taking the leap again. Well, yeah. And I, like I've said several times, it involves two people. And I think that's, that's the thing is I think a lot of people are just afraid that the other person is not going to be as committed. Yeah. But there's only one way to find out, right? (laughs) That's true. It's only one way.
Well, we just want to uh, encourage you guys to, um, you know, leave any comments for us. What are your thoughts on love? What are your thoughts on relationship, the state of relationship and connection? What does love mean to you? What has your experience been? Yeah. And how can you be full in? How can you put both feet in whatever pool that is, whether that's your relationships, your business, your creative endeavors? How can you play more full out and, and be fully committed? That is our invitation and our question to you. And so if you want more information, you can always read our blog posts at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We've got some amazing blog posts up there that really pontificate and go deeper into some of the subjects we like to talk to you about here on the podcast. And of course, you can connect with us on all of the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are all over there to interact with you and share more tips on wellness and consciousness and relationship and all the things to help you live a loving, open, high-performance lifestyle. And we will see you again soon with another podcast. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.